hi everyone and welcome to this month's Tech UK podcast, taking a deep dive into interoperability within the health and social care sector. My name is Robert Walker and I'm Programme Manager for Health and Emergency Services here at Tech UK. And I'm delighted to be joined by guests Alex Evis, Chief Product Officer for Digital Data and Anal Analytics at EMIS, John Payne, Director of Sales, Engineering and Education at Intersystems, Fiona Dawson, Director at Maiden, and Andrew Frangleton, Managing Director and Informatics Director at Clinical Architecture. Interoperability is defined as an efficient interoperability ecosystem providing an information infrastructure that uses technical standards, policies, and protocols to enable seamless and secure capture, discovery, exchange, and utilization of health information. In its most basic form, this means the ability for different systems to be able to speak to each other and provide the right information at the right time to the right person. Interoperability was identified in an internal survey of Tech UK members as the most pressing concern and a, a topic that challenges the broad themes of mandating and setting standards in order to facilitate the seamless flow of data across and between organisations. With integrated care systems becoming a reality as of April 2021, the need to ensure that data flows both outside of and inside an organisation has never been greater. Indeed, the opportunity to broaden the marketplace for suppliers, offering greater choice for providers and driving competition now stands as the next horizon for the health and social care system. Tech UK has long been involved in the interoperability space, having a dedicated working group which launched the Interoperability Charter, which set out a code of practice for healthcare IT companies in the UK. This charter advocates for industry and the NHS to work in tandem to co-define and in implement interoperability standards, following a code of good practice, continue to work together with organisations such as Interopen, the PRSB, and the NHS Transformation Directorate to help define standards and implement the vision set out in the NHS England's draft standards and interoperability strategy. The group also aims to foster collaboration and encourage innovation, illustrating the need for interoperability to senior management within the NHS and encourage the scaling of good innovations such as API development. If you would like to know more about Tech UK's work in this space, please do get in touch. Tech UK recognises that interoperability is not an end goal in and of itself, but rather a desirable state in which systems, services and processes can function seamlessly. This podcast will explore the barriers to interoperability, but also the potential opportunities to improving interoperability in 2023. So if I could introduce my guests, Alex, if you would like to introduce yourself and explain your background in, in interoperability and why it's important to you, I'll then hand over to John, Fiona and Andrew to introduce themselves as well. Thanks, Rob. Uh, hi, everyone. So, yeah, Rob introduced me. I'm uh, the Chief Product Officer for Digital Data and Analytics uh, at EMIS. I actually joined EMIS through acquisition in 2018. So they bought my company, which was called Dovetail Digital, which was set up specifically um, to tackle the data sharing problem rather Naively, I had come from a, a social care technology background and and thought that the large problem was that was an interoperability problem between health and social care and didn't realize at the time that there was more of an interoperability problem if you count the NHS as a single organization, but that there was also a problem with sharing data between NHS organizations and actually kind of for me at the time and what I set up there was required a bit of a paradigm shift and it was a shift to a sort of a person-centered and, and person patient controlled version of their medical record which is a little bit different to sort of interoperability within the NHS where we have a situation of kind of care setting controlled medical record but that's kind of my background and and maybe I'll put a slightly sort of patient hat on in this in this broader discussion but yeah, I'm very interested in how we tackle some of the problems which kind of I saw hand in the uh, saw firsthand in the social care space. I've also worked in prisons and saw it there of you know what happens when when um, clinicians or care providers don't have a complete picture of of somebody's health and the kind of clinical safety and clinical impact that can have on the people receiving care. Excellent. John, would you like to introduce yourself and explain a bit of your background in the interoperability space? Sure. I'm John Payne. I look after what's called sales engineering intersystems. I've been with intersystems for roughly 20 years. Before that, I did various other things. I've been involved in healthcare interoperability 
probably for 17 or 18 years now and worked with not only the NHS uh, provider, private provider organisations, I've also been quite heavily engaged with uh, organisations such as IHE and HL7. I think in terms of why I think interoperability is important today, I, and particularly to me myself, then I think it's a, it's a key enabler for many of the things that we want to try and achieve to improve the delivery of health and social care, to improve the health of the citizen. I think a liquid data economy is um, it's almost a hygiene factor that needs to be omnipresent. And, it's a, and, and really the question is, how do, we, how do we achieve that? I think some of the topics that we're going to cover today will uh, help highlight that. Excellent. Um, Fiona, could I ask the same question of you to introduce yourself and also explain your background in, inter in interoperability? Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me here. My name's Fiona Dawson. I am director at healthcare IT company Maiden. My work is predominantly around engaging with our partners and furthering our interoperability strategy. And Maiden uh, is the company behind IAPTIS, uh, probably the biggest EPR system you've never heard of. Uh, we're actually the market leading psychological therapy patient management system. Uh, we've got over 40,000 users, both in the UK and abroad. We're used by over 200 clinical services, uh, including 100 NHS customers and around 65% of all referrals to NHS adult talking therapy services uh, are entered onto our system each year. And for the past 20 years, uh, we've been creating as a company in, insightful and interoperable software. Uh, we've got over 30 partners um, and I've led the creation of these for about the past five years, uh, both in terms of the relationships and in terms of the data and technical requirements. But what I'm really passionate about is what technology can do to support healthcare and in, and in particular mental health. My experience at Maiden um, and as an advocate for the health informatics profession as a BCS fellow and a Fed IP leading practitioner is around raising the profile of the challenges faced, particularly by SMEs um, and highlighting best practice that's also happening in the space. So I was actually going to pick up a bit, Rob, on, on some of your definition around, around the interoperability. And you mentioned data quite a lot and, and seamless flow and the flow of information. I also like adding in the notion of systems working together. And for me, working together isn't just about transacting data, although I think that's really important. But I think we can sometimes get a bit stuck focusing on that. And I'd like to explore how we can go beyond this about sharing information and insights so that clinicians are better able to support patients and patients ultimately get better outcomes. And so right now, passion for me is about also kind of describing and exploring how we might take multimodal approaches and how we can fully embrace systems working together, not just transacting data between each other. I think that's a very good point, and I'm glad that you picked up on that. Anyway, last but by no means least, Andrew, would you like to um, introduce yourself and also explain your background uh, within this space as well? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Andrew Frangleton. I'm the Managing Director for Clinical Architecture in the UK. My background is actually in clinical decision support, and that may seem a bit strange, but but it occurred to me 15 years ago, probably, that we'd got to a brick wall with the clinical decision support that we could provide because we didn't have the inputs. When you're doing clinical decision support, you're reliant on the data that's coming in. And different systems that we were trying to implement the decision support with just didn't have access to the data that they needed about individual patients because the data was stored in many different systems. So I kind of started to get involved in interoperability and have really focused on the semantic side. So um, I've done my time with Snowman International on the implementation and innovation committee there, looking at how we can use clinical terminologies within information models um, to be able to support the patient care um, and the patient journey through our, our healthcare system. In my broad sort of day-to-day -day job at clinical architecture, our aim is to really help other organizations, healthcare organizations to better use their clinical data um, to look at the quality of the clinical data that we store in systems. I think, Rob, you mentioned um, access to the clinical data, but the access to the data is only useful if that data is complete, if it's accurate, um, if it's timely. So interoperability is a, is, a, is a means to an end of sharing that data, but the data is paramount in terms of its completeness and, um, and it's therefore its use for direct care um, and for analytics um, and for research. 
So um, that's what we do as a company. We help organizations take care of their data, look after the terminologies they're using, look after their semantic interoperability, um, and help them um, make sure their data is clean as it is, is as clean as it can be. Excellent. I think uh, I think we've got some real and, and varied experiences there within the within the interoperability space. So, John, uh, I'm going to come to you first. But in some of our previous meetings, you've made reference to how long the challenge of interoperability within the health and social care sector has been going on for. Could I ask what you perceive as the main challenges or barriers to achieving interoperability? I think it's in well pretty much continuously been the the rate of change of the the landscape. I mean, obviously, the the NHS as a as an institution has had many uh, agendas exercised upon us, and quite often they they lead in different directions to social care and to to sort of other sort of uh, care settings that might that coexist. And I th and I and I think that this 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 rate of change and the 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 lack of stability uh, in the in in the sort of the the integration landscape is is a big barrier to achieving that 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 liquid data economy because everybody has a slightly different version of whatever protocol they created at the time they built an interface and almost none of which will ever talk to each other without some level of wrangling so moving from what is in effect a very fragmented integration landscape or interoperability landscape to one which allows the free flow of data at a technical level, at a structured level, at a semantic level, and supports the use of that information in an appropriate manner to then enable the operational perspective to span systems, to span care settings which I think is you know, a lot, in a lot of cases really, really this, the ultimate goal or nirvana of, of interoperability, I think is still a challenge that is waiting to be, to be really addressed. It, it's interesting because I think if we look at uh, what's happening in the, the interoperability landscape now, then we might have an opportunity to, to make uh, some better progress in that direction than, than perhaps there has been in the past. Excellent. And Fiona, what do you think it looks like from an SME perspective, the sort of challenges and barriers um, to interoperability? Yeah, I, I really like your insight there, John, because I think the both in terms of, of lots of things, sort of rate of change and changing, but also kind of revisiting the same stuff over and over again. So it's sort of, it's supposed to be progress, but isn't progress. It's just a, an offer rehashing and you end up in this very fragmented situation where there's lots of different standards flying about that are being used. And, and so, so systems can't talk to each other well. Uh, and particularly from an SME perspective, you end up in a situation where uh, you're basically told what to do by lots of different players because they're bigger than you. And it's kind of they, you know, it's the fight of the APIs and, and, the, and the big boys win. And I think, I think what I'd like to particularly highlight is, is that I think standards and standards compliance plays a real key part in that. But I wanted to just probably highlight the opportunity that's being missed as a consequence, because I'm not sure that gets as much airtime. And actually, it's something that you said, Rob, about right information at the right time uh, and part of your definition. That's actually a Tim Berners-Lee. Uh, that's what he, <laughs> that's what his hope for the internet was, you know, right information, right time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's an analogy you can easily take apart. But when I want to buy a book from Amazon, I I don't go and download a PDF of all the possible books that I could buy off Amazon, load it onto my desktop and then trawl through it. I utilize the capabilities that Amazon and other bookstores are available, of course, please do use them. But, you know, I use their suggestions. Uh, they give me insights. They might tell me what I like and don't like, what others like me might like. And if I'm honest, sometimes I learn more about me on Amazon than I'd like. <laughs> and of course, moving data about the system is a given. You know, it supports data resiliency, sustainability, continuity, perpetuation, all of really important things. But I would argue that perhaps appreciation of data provenance and the insights of that data is still something about whether or not that's the right approach to take. Because systems sharing data can often have more insights into that information than the receiving system has the capability of understanding yet. And mm. would really like to to kind of share the opportunities around being able to share insights as much as as information. I, I, so I want to just take a really simple example, and again something that that 
probably can be quite easily taken apart, but just as an illustration, let's say there's an emergency contact in an acute system and an emergency contact in a mental health system. Uh, the acute system has the newer emergency contact that looks to be the most relevant and up to date. And so you might display that as the preference or you might display both. But what if the mental health service know that the partner of the patient is controlling? the patient felt coerced to provide that information as the emergency contact in the hospital when they presented? What if the mental health system can convey this person's at risk, that the police are involved, and that the mother of the patient is actually the safe contact to be put as the emergency contact, not the partner as appears in, in the acute system? Uh, and I'm going to be deliberately contentious. I would say that's hard to distill into a fire profile, um, all of that information about what's happening there. Um, but you might be able to find different ways of conveying that information as well as sharing it. Or you might be able to find ways of providing those insights so that when the clinician is looking at information, they understand the context of that individual in a much broader way uh, from, from an insightful way. And I guess I want to highlight that because we get stuck quite often in standards and rehashing of standards and they're often focused on quite a narrow narrow set of information that we really miss the opportunity to embrace better patient care because we aren't sharing the insights that are actually available to us in a in a multitude of different systems if we could only unlock how we could work together in order to make that available to each other. Absolutely. I think that's a very interesting point you made around the sort of clinician viewpoint and, and the idea that they should be sort of front and centre alongside the patient and sort of any design system. And Andrea, I was wondering if you had anything that you'd like to add to that, particularly from the sort of primary care space as well. I think that was a really interesting example, Fiona, but I think that also we tend to go down these rabbit holes quite a lot. And and, and we all get very passionate about different things around how we want to share data, how our data in our system is great, and if only the other system would look at it. And sometimes I think what can hold us back around interoperability is expecting to do too much too soon and, and to be too complete in that first step. So if you take the paper system we've got at the moment and the kind of scenario that you mentioned, I guess bad things might happen. But if we can get some form of interoperability in areas that we know where there's going to be benefit, then those are areas we should focus on. So I think one of the challenges is that interoperability means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And we've got to come up with the things which give the most benefit to the patient and the broader system. And I think at this particular moment in time as well, it's got to be areas which reduce the resource in the NHS that are burdened with transcoding information from different systems. And, and, and you ask, for example, Rob, about primary care. If we look at discharge notification from secondary to primary care, we know that there's an army of people in primary care that are taking text documents and they, have, they get received in primary care and someone has to sit there and turn those into coded clinical records. And we know that unless they do that, we're not going to meet decision support standards. We know that things like QOF aren't going to function correctly. Um, and we know that the patients aren't going to get the best care. So, you know, there is some, I wouldn't necessarily call it low-hanging fruit, but I think that there's some areas that if we all focused on a set of areas that, that we think could give us the most benefit, the patients the most benefit, and are probably the least contentious, I think we could probably make progress quicker than we have done over the last 20 to 30 years. I think a lot of the syntactic and the semantic standards are there. We just need to kind of use them, but we need to look at the skill shortage that we've got, not just probably from the system vendors, but also within the, uh, within the NHS itself. So the NHS has got to be able to, they're buying systems, but they need to be able to manage and control and understand what those systems are doing. And I think that the patients are absolutely key to this so that they can see their data and understand how their data is being represented, because they're the ones that often measure that degree of completeness. So, yeah, I think there, you know, there, there, are, lots of, there are lots of challenges, but I think that yeah, my, my, my view is that we should look for the things where we can uh, run furthest and get the most benefit soonest. I think that's a, a very good answer as well in terms of particularly touching upon the sort of digital skills aspects um, around current NHS staff. And Alex, I was wondering from your perspective at EMIS, is this is this something that you come across uh, EMIS? Or, uh, I mean, we've often heard as well that, that interoperability and implementing interoperability is much as a cultural issue uh, as much as anything else. So do you have any perspective on that at all? 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose we haven't really touched on information governance, um, which is probably another aspect of interoperability, um, as well as change management. You know, it's driven for the right reasons. Data security and privacy is uh, is extremely important, one of the most important <laughs> considerations, but is often cited as the biggest blocker for, for sharing data. And we've all seen operational, I'm, I'm sure we've all incurred operational challenges uh, with getting the right permissions in place when trying to share data or facilitate data sharing between different organizations. So I probably concur a little bit or concur with Andrew on the, you know, it may not be low hanging fruit, but it's lowest hanging fruit potentially is the, the, the right description in terms of the sort of structured coded data, maybe also from an information governance being the the least contentious place to start and certainly kind of Probably the approach in terms of sharing data with citizens as well, there seems to be less objection to, to sharing structured coded data and than free text because there are numerous challenges with sharing free text that might contain third party references or might contain um, information that, that hasn't that that, that hasn't been redacted and is not suitable for, for, for people to see. So although I think I, Fiona's example was absolutely brilliant and I'm sure we all totally agree that you know that's absolutely where we should be heading to we probably need to start with uh, an, an order of priority and start with the the easiest things to achieve and the least contentious excellent I'm going to go a bit off script here and I'm going to ask what do you think those sort of least contentious low-hanging fruit sort of aspects are and if you are sort of ICS what what could you be looking at sort of initially to implement an interoperability agenda. So Alex, seeing as you mentioned information governance, I'll come to you first. I think I mean structured coded data is is kind of the um is 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 probably there. There's lots of different sort of models. Um I know um organizations like so so for instance uh, patients knows best PKB they have a uh privacy level models. So they have general health, mental health, sexual health, and then other, which include social care and sort of uh, sort of like local government type held data. So you have the ability to disclose different, uh, different types of information. Obviously, data minimization applies um, from a GDPR perspective as well. But m most people would are relatively happy to share their general health information, whereas potentially there may be more contention with sexual health, mental health and, and other information as well. So uh, that's that is one approach. We start with with that type of levels, but there's, you know, there's various, many, many different ways of solving the same problem. So and I don't think one has been agreed upon yet. There is not consensus. That's interesting. So Andrew, John and Fiona, would any of you like to add on to that question around what is the low hanging fruit that we could we could sort of achieve straight away or within 2023? Andrew, would you like to go first? I think that in, in terms of simple data, I think that quite a lot of work has been done in um, in the area of medication. But I think that there's more that could be done for making sure that medication discharge, for example, or even admittance medication. I know that I'll personalize it when my father was in hospital recently, that the hospital didn't, didn't know what medications he was on at home. He was on nine different medications. They didn't ring the doctors up to find out what medications he was on. They couldn't ask my dad because he wasn't in a, in a fit enough state to give the answer. So who do they ask? His son. Okay, that was fine. I actually had a list of them so I could provide that. But I'm kind of in the know most people aren't. So that seems to me to be a really simple area in that particular region that their communication between, you know, an elderly person going into hospital and knowing what medications they were taking was a complete failure. And if I hadn't been there to prop the system up, I don't know what would have happened. And so I think medications is definitely an area. And I think exactly the same around um, lab data as well. I think that we've got some really good examples of sharing lab data in primary care. Um, and getting the lab results back, but it's not always shared well with it uh, between um, uh, secondary care and primary care. And, and again, I think that I've heard so many stories of people having to uh, manually facilitate that kind of transfer of information. So these things aren't 
you know, they're not there up in the rocket science. They're not that difficult. You know, we've got really good ways of representing uh, medications with the DMD. We've got really good ways of representing labs, especially with a new SNOMED lab extension. Um, we've got great fire resources to be able to, to, to use to syntactically move that information around. We should be able to get on and, and make that happen within a, a shorter period of time. I'm not saying 2023, but we certainly ought to be able to be a good progress in areas such as that, uh, in those less complex areas. Excellent. And Sean and Fiona, would you have anything else to add to Fiona? I think part of this is also what you see what happens when there's a national mandate, which is absolutely the right thing that we should be doing. And I'm, I'm in no way criticising that. I fully support us having national standards. But I think, Andrew, you drew on it earlier. Every sector then thinks their data is going to be the most valuable and most important and most relevant. It's like, you know, it's taking my perspective, NHS talking therapies don't have medications. They don't prescribe and they don't, they, they might note down what someone's medication is, but they don't uh, in any way, they're not the, the, the true source for that. It's just what someone's commented in the session. What they would really care passionately about is what might trigger someone's suicide risk, what might might mean that they go into crisis. And they want to desperately share that information for the purposes of direct care with places like acute systems so that if someone presents in crisis, they can convey information that might save that person's life. And so, you know, they're, they're obviously deeply passionate about sharing that information. And, and I think part of this is the consequence of that. So a frustration that a lot of our services have, for example, is is around gender. So in, in, in our service, they collect three pieces of information around gender. They collect the, the gender that the spine talks about, they take the gender that someone says they are, and they take the gender at birth. And those three pieces of information are key to support that patient from a mental health perspective. Um, but quite often, when we're asked to share information with primary care, they, they want to know the, the, the kind of spine gender, which in most instances we've got from the spine in the first place, which the GP practice has provided to. And so we're just kind of sharing information that everyone already knows. And that feels like a frustration, a missed opportunity for us to move forward from that. And a, and a lot of energy spent on on kind of basically recirculating information that that should be already known. And I, and I think the important point we're raising here is is that actually we need a national mandate because we're not at the minimum standards. Of of course we we need the very basic before we even start thinking about doing anything fancy beyond it. My goodness, of course. But I think if we don't keep an eye on the missed opportunity of what we do once we've achieved that and what's next. For me, I think we we kind of lose sight of the capabilities of of kind of what the vision is and and where we're kind of trying to get to. Absolutely. So um, I think you touched on something quite important there, which was the sort of need for minimum standards. So John, if I could come to you and ask, in your opinion, what those minimum national standards should be? Well, it's interesting you you say what should the minimum national standards be. I mean, I think there are already standards for sharing information that exist and that may cover medications, they may cover a wide variety of a citizen's health and care record data sets. I think to me, the real challenge is that there has been many attempts to solve this problem. Relatively recently, you know, we've seen we've seen a a rollout across the UK of various different, for example, various different shared care record implementations. The issue with those is obviously the rate at which they can consume data from various different care settings and systems and the extent to which they can share that information. And the the impediments to that aren't really technical. Impediments to that. In some cases, they are. There's various different platforms out there with various different capabilities. But in a lot of a lot of cases, the impediments to that are um, information governance related, or maybe, as has been alluded to earlier, a perspective that says, "Well, what really matters is information that is in my care, is in my operational system, and nothing else. I don't really care about." You know, that 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 sort of semi-parochial nature that exists within parts of the NHS. And therefore, I think one of the opportunities that we have to, to change that now with, with the, the, the falls out of the 
the changes that are currently occurring within the NHS and consolidation of um, centre central areas of interest, the, the the increasing focus on the ICBs as delivery vehicles for health and care and citizen well-being. A focus in the Hewitt report, for example, on the idea that the direction of travel really ought to be a citizen-held record covering health and care. You know, Alex talked about the very start of uh, of this this podcast. I mean, I think I think those have the opportunity to set a set a direction and from from which you know we could have a, a clearer focus to say in order to achieve x y and z what are the most important things that we need to do uh, rather than having a plethora of different aims goals objectives interests i think if we can distill those down to a much smaller controllable set and then have everybody you know have suppliers and care providers focused on delivering that smaller more well controlled set of capabilities are in the area of sharing information and making it useful it's not enough just to have information available it has to be useful so it has to, we have to figure out how to address the problem of interoperable process as well as interoperable data but if we can do that based uh, and and do that based on a vision that says this is where we're going and have that vision defined and agreed at a strategic as well as a tactical level and everybody pulling in the same the same direction then i think we could make some changes in the on interoperability landscape so to speak um, relatively rapidly because all the pieces are there but it's 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 a matter of marshalling the the capabilities that we have and the interests that we have and the organizations that we have in a way that's cohesive and consistent and, and makes sense because everybody wants this to succeed so if we can cut through the wide variety of interests distill them down into a much simpler operating model that's more generally applicable then i think that could be really be a step, a step change in the in the interoperable landscape i think that's a very good point particularly around the sort of icbs as you mentioned and allowing them the opportunity to almost have that accountability which i think has possibly been lacking in the interoperability space having that accountability of of driving that agenda forward as well but you also touched upon some of the main opportunities in improving interoperability and i wanted to come to andrew just to see if he had any thoughts on that as well, and the sort of potential opportunities as we sort of go through 2023 and beyond as well. I think that the opportunities, you know, there are there are many opportunities that are there. I do think that that, that we have to think about the the source of the data that we want to use for interoperability. I think that's absolutely critical. I think we've got a lot of systems out there um, that aren't necessarily collecting the data in a way that they would want it to be shared. And I think that that means that we've got to, we've got to look at this on two parallel lines. I think there's the technical work that we've already talked about around interoperability and, and, and standards and the adoption of those standards. But I think that there's also this um, organizational change, this uh, training um, uh, that needs to happen with, with clinical staff so that when when we're collecting the data that we want to make interoperable, that data is actually being collected consistently and accurately and in a way that we can we can share it. At the moment, you get asked the same question time and time again because no one trusts the data they're seeing. So if we're going to use interoperability properly, we've got to do it in a way that that data becomes trusted um, as it gets shared across the healthcare system. So thing that's important is that we don't focus just on that interoperability problem. We've got to focus on the, the more holistic vision that I think we all share is that we, we'd like to be able to have a personal healthcare record that is accurate and concise and timely, all those things, and that the patient can see and the clinician that's treating you at the time can see. So let's let's remember that that the the source of the data is is important. What goes down the pipe needs to be clean. We don't want 
grey water going down our interoperability pipe. We want nice clean water going down the pipe that we can all consume and rely on at the other end. Yeah, that's a very good analogy there. And Alex, I can see your head nodding quite along. Nodding uh, quite, furiously. Uh, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was wondering if you wanted to add to that at all. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, totally agree. Um, it's the, you know, the garbage in, garbage out uh, adage, really. I think the one thing that I would ask for would be for stability, stability and focus to be able to say this is what we're aiming for. These are the goals. This is what everyone's bought into. And let's then head towards that. Now, perhaps the priority could and should be the citizen held record. Perhaps the priority should be something else. But let's let's have that focus. Let's have that stability. Let's enable an environment where existing vendors and people who are coming along with great new ideas can say, this is how I fit into that data ecosystem for the NHS. This is how I fit into the landscape. This is how I communicate with systems and people. And then let's allow everybody to participate and head towards that goal, that, that, that stable view of the future, rather than having the situation we have at the moment where every single time there's a, you know, the same conversation occurring from many different companies about, well, I want a standard interface. What's the standard interface to go and talk to the two, whatever the EPR is or whatever hospital? And, and the answer being, there is no standard interface. And it's, it's a different implementation every single time. Let's move away from that. Let's have a standard clear views to where we're all heading for the interoperability landscape and let's and let's stick to it let's let's not change it every couple of years let's not have a new standard that's that supplants what everybody is aiming for let's get some consistency throughout the health economy that enables and supports the data liquidity that we want and that would make such a difference to being able to leverage the ideas and the capabilities that uh, you know the people and organizations involved in delivering healthcare can and do have. Absolutely. I think there's an important aspect around sort of not reinventing the wheel here. Um, and Fiona, focus on stability must be a sort of perennial sort of ask of um, from from the SME perspective. So I was wondering if you had any sort of, if you had, I, th I know we've spoken about it before as well, but if you had one ask of, of NHS colleagues, what would it be? Uh, yeah, couldn't agree with you more, John. So what, what I'm just going to add to that is uh, don't just mandate standards. Absolutely do, but don't just do that. Can we mandate working together? And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, I'm here as, as an SME voice also to be a bit contentious. And that's to say when when the sweeping eye of Sauron comes across with a new national policy standard, I have to say as an SME, we're quite often I think we talked about low-hanging fruit earlier. You know, do you look to the to the to the suppliers with the big legal teams, or do you do look to the SMEs that have got some short contracts uh, that have you know a few months to implement? And you say, oh, actually, uh, you guys need to make sure that you are compliant with this before you can contract for your next thing. And it means that SMEs are quite often the most uh, um, you know impacted by the constant changing of of the kind of policies of standards, and worse they then don't have anyone to play with. <laughs> so we get ourselves ready against the latest thing. And then you find out that no one else in the space has had to do that yet because they're two years into a 10 year contract and you know they're gonna get to it, but it's gonna be a little while. And in the meantime, you can use this, this other thing that they have if you really want to, to be interoperable. So yeah, that, a bit of a, a contentious response perhaps, but I would really like to see from, from, from the NHS Department of Health and Social Care Absolutely, let's mandate standards. Absolutely, let's not change them very much. But how can we also encourage or, or, or mandate working together so that we're all responding to these things and we're all coming together around them? Because I think that we want to. I think that's what underlines this all. When we, all of us working in healthcare, because we want to make a difference to patients, we all have a heart for that. Otherwise, you know, we'd be going off and doing other things. There's lots of technology areas we could go into. 
And I think it's, it, I just really like to see more of us coming together along that common purpose in terms of interoperability. I think Fiona mentioned quite a lot around the sort of collaboration aspects there. So I was wondering if you had any sort of asks of industry colleagues to help with the interoperability journey as well. I think we need to, uh, as an industry, uh, agree on and then conform to and, and implement open standards. So FHIR, HL7, um, all the other good stuff. I think we've got an opportunity to do this, and particularly for, for incumbent suppliers as they, they update and renew their software. But everybody's ultimately got to be open to collaboration. At EMIS, we have over 120 partner organizations and interoperability is absolutely key to making the sort of complex ecosystem of, of healthcare functionality work um, as it should. John, if I could come to you again around that sort of collaboration and ask of industry colleagues as well. Yeah, I, I, I think actually it's it's very similar to the uh, sort of the previous comments I made about stability and focus and moving in uh, the same direction to enable interoperability in a practical way. I mean, so often if you look outside the UK, you see suppliers adopting interoperability standards because they're set in law and suppliers are chasing, you know, have this continual chase for legal compliance in various various different shapes or forms. I mean, we're, you know, InterSystems is quite a large global company and we are continually looking at the nature and form of the standards compliance that we need to be not only supporting now, but also putting in place next week, next month, next year. What what, what do we have to be aiming at? And 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 I think if we can, as a as a a community, look at how, of of suppliers, uh, look at working cooperatively together to to really address some of these concerns to try and make it simpler for each other. Frankly. I've, I've been involved in, in some shape or form in solving the healthcare interoperability problem for over 15 years. That's enough, you know? Frankly, there could and should be much more valuable things that I could be doing with my time. And the same applies to many, many other people. It's, it, it's, great, it's great to sort of, you know, have a job and be able to earn consultancy fees and all that stuff. But frankly, it delivers little value to continually having to be focused on solving the same problem. I would much rather be doing something that's more focused on improving care, for example, in healthcare. And so if by working together as suppliers, we can look to not only work together between ourselves, but with our customers, with the healthcare professionals who are delivering that care in a way that's expedient and robust, simple and easy to do and removes barriers rather than creates them, then to me that would be a great outcome. As I say, I'd much rather be doing something that's more useful. Absolutely, Fiona. I thought I, 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 thought I saw your head nodding furiously along there around being able to do other things with your time as well. So is that a sort of similar sort of thought that you, thought that you have to uh, to John as well around sort of making things, removing barriers for each other as well as NHS colleagues as well? Yeah, totally. A, a risk of uh, agreeing with you vehemently again, John. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely the case. And I think I just, I probably just wanted to really emphasise that I've had the privilege of working with a number of industry colleagues and they are fantastic people in brilliant organizations doing great things and i think that we shouldn't underestimate just how much great work there is happening in the space but we really need to crack this interoperability thing on the head because you know we 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 want to be able to take a you know to be doing all of those great things better uh, without spending so much energy on something that should just be so barn door and I think a lot of my messaging, it isn't about saying, you know, poor SMEs, let's, let's all get the violins out for them at all. But I think there are things that have been orchestrated within the space that have made things more challenging. And one of those that I'd like to raise is, is I think 
payment for partner programs is a problem. I understand from a commercial perspective, I think, but there's things, I think there's different ways of handling that. And I think, you know, particularly in a reciprocal agreement where, you know, we're, we're understanding that we're both sharing data with each other. If you charge me, why can't I charge you? Uh, and then we get into a bit of a farce around all of that. And I think there's, there's an element of actually from a national perspective, from a collaborative perspective that we need as, as an industry to look better at how we can make these things work with each other. And yeah, that, that, that maybe remove that and look at something differently in order to be able to support each other with that process. Um, I said I was going to be a contentious, so there's a, there's a contentious note in there. <laughs> I think that's a that's a very good point to make, though, as well. And Andrew, would you like to add anything to Fiona's uh, contentious point, or or would you like to be slightly more diplomatic, shall we say? I, I think it's an interesting conundrum about how interoperability gets funded, because who gets the benefit? Is the benefit getting it being by the receiver of the data? Well, I've just gained something, but I don't want to pay for it, or or, or why should it? So if I'm primary care. Who's going to pay for the data to flow from secondary care to me? Because I'm the beneficiary. If I'm in primary care, why would second? What's the incentive for secondary care? Maybe I could argue that it's lower admissions because if they give the right data to primary care, you'll get lower readmission. So I, I think the economics of this are complex. So um, I don't think you're being contentious. I think it's just complex economics, and 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 we should be lucky in this country because we have the NHS. If this was privately uh, funded healthcare then these economics become really messy. But we shouldn't be in that position. So let's take advantage of the fact that we're one NHS and, and we should be able to work out the best way to fund these things to make sure that there's there, there's equality in the um, effort and, and, and risk reward that's that's in the system. But I think that, you know, generally speaking, you know, what do we what do we what what would I ask of industry colleagues? Always build your systems to conform to open standards. You know, it's it's well, there's no excuse anymore. Twenty years ago, there was people were building things the way they built them. I don't want to stifle innovation, but build to open standards. Why wouldn't you do that now? Guide and promote the NHS around best practice. Often, people in industry understand the best practice more than the people that are at the coalface in the NHS. So, so guide and 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 help them implement things in the best way, in an open way, in a standard best way. Don't promote. Um, lock into your system, even though um, that may seem a commercially wise thing to do. In the end of the day, it won't be. And and build your products that that just assume that interoperability is the norm. No one's got one system that's going to work for the whole of the NHS. So we've all got one component. So let's all build our products that 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 assume that interoperability is is absolutely required from our product, no matter what we're doing, and build it so that we take that perspective. If we all did that, we would all be in a better place. I think that's a very uh, good point. Fiona, did you want to come in around the open standards uh, I just angle? Want, I just wanted for balance to vehemently agree with Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that we've uh, that we're all agreeing with each other on on this podcast. So I think we've had a really interesting discussion, particularly like the point around sort of open standards and maybe moving away from that financial viewpoint and standpoint of the benefits of interoperability and who's paying for what as well but also uh, around uh, John's point around sort of making it simpler for each other as well uh, for for industry colleagues so I hope this discussion can can both inform NHS and the Department of Health and Social Care but also industry colleagues about how we can enable interoperability in 2023 hopefully allow john to sail off into retirement without having to <laughs> to come back and and solve this problem for the for the next 15 years so before we close does anyone have any sort of final thoughts on this andrew if i could start with you uh, i think it's simple from my perspective first of all let's not lose sight of the goals of of interoperability it's it's a means to an end not an end in itself so let's not lose sight of those goals um, and that goal is to improve patient outcomes, improve population health, provide reliable data for, for further research. We need interoperability to help us do all those things, but let's remember it's a means to an end. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, Fiona, your final thoughts? Let's get the basics done. Let's work together as an industry and hold each other to account and together realise the true potential of interoperability for the benefit of everybody. Good stuff there. And uh, John, your your final thoughts on, on this conversation? I think I completely agree with Andrew that 
you know, interoperability as a means to an end. I would I would like to see us arrive at a position where the question of availability of data and the correctness of data and where it comes from, et cetera, become, just disappears as an issue from the health and social care space. It's just take, the, the fact that data, the right data is available just becomes taken for granted. And if we can get to that point, then I think we've solved the problem. Until we get to that point, it's always going to be difficult. It's unlikely to ever to be perfect, but I think we can get a, I think we can get a lot closer to that than we are today. I think we have the tools to do that now if we would, you know, if the will is there. And I think the, you know, there's no time like the present to say, let's do it. I, th I think we've got to think beyond kind of the immediate impact that that direct care and clinical safety impacts that a sort of lack of interoperability has and think beyond. And we've had some really good discussion about data quality and, and coding practice and things like that. So think beyond the sort of direct care uh, requirements, which are obviously absolutely crucial for interoperability, and but think to sort of a sort of data informed world where the technology that we're developing is going to be data driven, data informed, and think about what we can do and how we can work together to make that a reality. Because without that joined up picture, we're really unlikely to be able to achieve the triple bottom line or, or probably quadruple bottom line of, of delivering better patient outcomes, um, creating system efficiencies for the NHS, giving clinicians a better experience of delivering care and reducing health inequalities. Absolutely. I think it's a, a problem. I'm sure you can agree that we all think should be solved now and definitely, definitely could be solved uh, within 2023 as well. So I'd like to thank all of our guests for their contributions to today's conversation uh, and podcast. I hope you found it insightful and valuable as well. If you'd like to know uh, any more about Tech UK's work uh, within the interoperability space, please do get in touch with Tech UK's health and social care programme. I can tell you all about the fantastic work that we're doing, not just within the interoperability space, but also the health and social care sector more broadly as well. So thank you again. Thank you.